Welcome to the Amateur Church Podcast, where we pursue excellence in ministry with the right motivation for the sake of love. I'm Pastor Matt, and I'm so thankful that you are on this disciple's journey with me as we begin a brand new week, week 35 in our Old Testament reading. It is actually our last week in the Old Testament. Can you believe it? We've been walking through since January, and uh, as we finish up the month of August, we are now finishing up uh, the the entire Old Testament with uh, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So that means next week we'll begin with the book of Matthew, but we've got a lot to do this week, and uh, in order to, to start this, let me remind you why we exist as the Amazon your church podcast. This is a call for anyone who is tired of church being a programmed organization. I want to be an amateur, at least in the sense that how I lead, preach, and serve is based on love. I want my love for Jesus Christ and love for others to be my motivation. Now remember, this is not a push to become lazy or unskilled in my ability or your ability, but actually I believe that when churches get back to being amateurs, we will see a greater excellence in our lifestyles. So thank you for joining me in rejecting a professional Christianity that seeks my own glory and rediscovering a passion for Christ and His church. So in order to do this, let's jump in with the book of Zephaniah as we look at this theology from these uh, final four minor prophets. Uh, we want to ask, what can we learn about God? What can we learn about mankind? And what can we learn about our relationship through Jesus Christ with God? We start with Zephaniah. Zephaniah means Yahweh hides. That's what the name Zephaniah means. And the date is most likely, according to scholars, 627 to 622 BC. So just before uh, the fall of Judah to uh, Babylon and that captivity, but God is declaring through this that the day of the Lord is coming. So this book of Zephaniah is only three chapters long, but it is so important for us in seeing and understanding the wickedness of man and the purity, the character of God. Um, uh, the, the theme is the day of the Lord. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord which came to Zephaniah, son of Cushai. Uh, in verse 2, he says, I will completely remove all things from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will remove man and beast. I will remove the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, the ruins along with the wicked. And I will cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Now, there is a lot of poetic symbolism in this, uh, but truth. God is saying, I will have my judgment on mankind. This is not just about Judah, though we will see judgment on Judah. Um, he's saying there is coming a day where I will blow away everything that has risen against me and make all things new. But look at uh, verse uh, verse 4. He says, So I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place and the names of the idolatrous priest along with the priest, and those who bow down on the housetops to the host of heaven, those who bow down and swear to the Lord, and yet swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, and those who have not sought the Lord or inquired of him. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near, for the Lord has prepared a sacrifice, he has consecrated his 
Yes. So, so what I want you to see in this is we see Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. You must understand that Zephaniah takes place before captivity, and it is a promise that God's glory is going to be shown in his judgment on Judah. But not just Judah. His judgment is going to be shown on uh, just the pagan, uh, pagan nations, uh, on Judah's enemies. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather, O nation, without shame before the decree takes effect. The day passes like the chaff before the burning anger of the Lord comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all all you humble of the earth who have carried out his ordinances. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. And then he, then he calls them out by name. He says, For Gaza and Ashkelon and Ashdod and Ekron and the Cherethites and the uh, Canaan, land of the Philistines, uh, Moab and Amnon uh, and, and the Ethiopians, Assyria, Nineveh, all these spoken of in chapter 2. He calls out these unrighteous nations, these Gentile nations, to remind them that God is not just the God over Israel and Judah, but God is sovereign over all the earth. I think that's something we forget many times as we're reading these minor prophets, reading about Judah and Israel, is that God is not just concerned for them. God is going to bring judgment on all the Gentile nations, but he is also bringing out a truth of mercy where he says, gather yourselves and seek the Lord. You have an opportunity to seek the Lord, Israel. You have an opportunity to seek the Lord, Judah. And in fact, Gentile nations have an opportunity to seek the Lord. And so we see the wickedness of man judged, but we also see the character of God praised. Look at chapter 3. In chapter 3, um, one of the one of the greatest passages uh, in uh, in uh, in all the Bible, God says, Wait for me, declares the Lord. For the day when I rise up as a witness. And then he says uh, in verse 9, For I I will give to the people's purified lips, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord, to serve him shoulder to shoulders. And then he says in verse 12, I will leave among you a humble and lowly people, and they will take refuge in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong and tell no lies, nor will a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths, for they will feed and lie down with no one to make them tremble. Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. What we see in this is that we can wait on God. Uh, As he says, wait for me. We can wait on him because he is a God that keeps his promises and loves. He is righteous. We can wait on him. Also, he is righteous. We can trust him. Uh, Look at verse 17 of chapter 3. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. We can trust him. Our God is over all. He is sovereign and powerful. And maybe a reminder for you, for you from uh, a theological reminder about God is that you can trust the character of God and, and you can wait on him, you can trust him, and you can sing with him. Listen to this. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love and he will rejoice you with shouts of joy. God promises that he will restore your fortunes before your eyes. This is not a health, wealth, prosperity promise. It is a promise of the Messiah that would come to bring life and life more abundant. So Zephaniah, a short three-chapter book, but one that points us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Then we move on to one of my favorite Old Testament books, not just in the Minor Prophets, but really in the Old Testament, the book of Haggai. I've preached through Haggai several times uh, and and love this this book. It takes place in uh, in in the fifth uh, century. Um, and or the sixth century in the uh, uh, 520 BC, the, it takes place between the sixth and the ninth months, according to Ezra, uh, and and it's it, so it's just three to four months that pass from really from September to uh, December uh, of of our calendar. Uh, Haggai means festival, and the theme is rebuilding the temple. And, and in fact, it, it says uh, in verse 2, Thus says the Lord of hosts, this people says, The time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. And then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Uh, what we see in this is uh, understanding the context of, of history, that in 536, the Israelites were able to go back to the land. And Ezra, with about 50,000 Jews, went back. But now, for 15 years, it had uh, the, the temple had laid unfinished, the wall had laid unfinished. And on September the 1st, 520 B.C., they are commanded, finish the house of God. Is it time? Yes, it is time. You have built your own homes, but you have neglected God's. And so God comes to them and stirs the work through the prophet Haggai and through uh, through uh, uh, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and Zerubbabel, the, the governor. Um, God is going to, to uh, also through Zechariah, uh, that that. Uh, a book is a he's Zechariah's a contemporary of Haggai. That book falls in line during this time period, and we see that God is concerned with His people and His house, which moves us now to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah means Yahweh remembers, and uh, I, I love this because uh, his father's name was uh, uh, Jehovah blesses. Uh, his grandfather's name was what uh, meant his time. And so when you put all those uh, together, Jehovah remembers to bless in his time. I just love those names and what that means in that lineage. But the book of Zechariah is dated from about 520 to 518 BC, so around the time of Haggai. And the theme is rebuilding the temple, just like Haggai. What's interesting from Zechariah, and we're going to take Zechariah and Haggai both, and they're going to they're going to be uh, our Zechariah is going to be the apologetics episode, Haggai will be the evangelistic episode, and so we're not going to spend much time on the on them right now. Um, but I do want you to see that Zechariah, the book, is divided into three chapters, while Haggai is only two chapters. Um, Zechariah is the lengthiest of the minor prophets; it's fourteen chapters, and we see. Uh, a, three sections. Uh, chapters 1 through 6, verse 8, are visions of peace and prosperity and God's favor as he calls them to repentance upon the people. Remember, they have come out of uh, captivity and God's going to show them the branch, Jesus Christ, uh, uh, in, in that. And then we're going to see in chapter 7 and 8 discussions of fasting and repentance uh, as as God calls them now to uh, uh, to uh, to 
follow after him and and be faithful to him. And then we see chapters 9 through 14 that there are prophecies of Israel and the nations. In fact, some of the greatest prophecies about end times uh, of uh theology is going to be seen in the book of Zechariah. I love the book of Zechariah. And so we're going to talk a lot about that uh, in our apologetics episode. But one thing I want to point out theologically is how Zechariah actually points to the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you a few verses and tell you where it's fulfilled. Um, Listen, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, here's a messianic promise. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation humble and mounted on a donkey. And this uh, speaks of the arrival to Jerusalem, uh, fulfilled in Matthew chapter 21, verses 4 through 5. And then we see in Zechariah chapter 13, uh, verse 7, it says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man my associate, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. This speaks of his arrest in Jerusalem, fulfilled in Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. Uh, And then we see in Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12, I said to them, it is good in your sight. If it is good in your sight, give me my wages, but if not, never mind. So they weighed out 30 shekels of silver as my wages. Uh, Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that magnificent price at which I was valued by them. So I took the 30 shekels of silver, threw them to the potter in the house of the Lord. And so we see uh, that Jesus was sold as a slave for 30 shekels of silver, which is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 through 10. We also know that according to uh, Zechariah 13, verse 6, uh, it it says, and uh, he will, and, and one will say to him, what are these wounds between your arms? Then he will say, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Again, fulfilled in Matthew chapter 27. But then ultimately, uh, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one who mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn, that Jesus would be pierced on the cross. Again, Matthew chapter 27. So Zechariah is a book of prophecy, Messianic prophecies fulfilled. Now let's close out with the book of Malachi. And Malachi means my messenger or my angel. And the date of Malachi is 450 to 445 BC. It is the last of the minor prophets, the last of the Old Testament, and the last book before the silent period. Doesn't necessarily mean God is silent, but it means that they uh, were not hearing from God during this intertestamental period to record uh, the word of God between Malachi and Matthew. But God still was using and working through his people. Uh, the theme is purity and worship. And I want you to see this. The book of Malachi is really a picture of the whole Old Testament that God proved his love by choosing Jacob or Israel and blessing them with the land. 
but I want you to see what takes place in this. There are uh, the the rhetorical or the rhetoric of Malachi is is uh, unlike any other of the the books of the Bible. I love what God does in here. Um, in verse two of chapter one, He says, "I have loved you," says the Lord, "but you say, how have you loved us?" And and I want you to see first that they doubted the love of God. And because of that, they became idolaters. And when we doubt the love of God, we become idolaters. Our greatest sin is unbelief. Consider what took place in Genesis. Uh, Adam and Eve doubted the love of God, doubted Him, and they didn't believe Him. And they fell because of idolatry. They wanted their own kingdom, and they wanted their own uh, uh, power and prestige. Uh, and so in this, they offered God uh, not their best, but really their rest. They offered what was left. They broke covenant with God in chapter 2, verse 1. Listen to this. It says, And now this commandment is for you, O priest. If you do not listen, if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord, then I will send the curse upon you. I will curse your blessings. And indeed, I have cursed them already because you are not taking it to heart. The priest did not revere or follow the word of God. According to verse 7, For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But as for you, you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, God says. They were not faithful to their own commitments. Look at verse 13. There is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So God is coming against the priests, the religious leaders of the people of Israel. And then ultimately they harbored a heart of greed rather than a heart of giving. He it directly says uh, in, in, in this passage, um, he, he says in chapter 3 verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? Just like they say, how have, uh, have you loved us? He says, in tithes and offerings that they did not honor God God uh, with a heart of giving but rather they had a heart of greed and so uh, when you think of this um, you know it's it's a it's really a cry of God to the people saying you have broken your covenant with me and you need to understand that I expect you to turn uh, back to me uh, in fact he promises he he talks about the faithful as precious jewels. He says in chapter 3, verse 16, um, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I prepare my own possession, I will spare them as a man spares his own son and serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and one who does not serve God. So he he calls them his own possession. And so we have a security from God in that he's saying, when, I, when my Messiah comes, um, I will spare you. And then in chapter 4, verse 2, uh, listen to his promises with uh, of Jesus Christ who will come in the new covenant. 
He says, but for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Just four things I want you to grab hold of. Number one, there will be healing for the righteous in Jesus Christ. Number two, there will be judgment for the wicked apart from Christ. Number three, there will be restoration for the broken. And number four, there will be blessing and not cursing. We see this even in the last book of the New Testament, just like this last book of the Old Testament, that ultimately we see healing, we see judgment, we see restoration, and we see blessing not cursing. And my heart and my prayer is that as you read Malachi this week, along with Zephaniah, Haggai, and Zechariah, that you and I would offer God a heart of love and give Him the glory that He deserves. Why? Because Jesus Christ, this Son of Righteousness, would come and rise with healing in His wings, healing in His garments in his robes, and that very robe would be put on us, a robe of righteousness. He did so by the death, burial, and resurrection that he accomplished, and he will come again, and that is our greatest hope. I love you. I'm praying for you. Stakes in the ground.